Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Hello, Raider Nation, and welcome to another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. I'm Dennis Ackerman, pleased to be joined by former Raider great Stanford Route. Stan, how we doing? Pretty good, man. We got Friday coming. We got our first high school football game tonight, and two weeks from now, we'll be starting off the NFL season. Next week, college season. So, hey, let me tell you something, DA. I am fired up. I'm pumped. We're almost to September. Best time of the year. I agree. Stan, who's uh, who you guys got tonight? Tonight we have Needville. It's a uh, small town about 45 minutes southwest of Houston, public school. So obviously uh, a little bit of a difference, a change of pace for us, but uh, definitely looking forward to it and don't see any reason why we can't come out with a W tonight. Okay, now we've seen the Friday Night Lights version of the book and the television show mm-hmm. of what high school football like is in Texas. You experienced it firsthand. Is it really like that? Is it that big there? Yes, football is king in Texas as it is in California and or Florida or Georgia and several other states, uh, predominantly in the south per- southern part of the United States. But definitely whenever you actually leave the metropolis, the Houston's, the Dallas, the San Antonio, the Austin, whenever you have those those towns, those schools that are on the outskirts of a city, they have, be it 30, 45 minutes away, something like that, where it's one of those towns where you have maybe one, maybe two high schools for the entire town or just that area. Yes, football is that strong. It is that big. It is that important. Uh, I always like to go ahead and attribute the movie Varsity Blues. I'm not sure, you know, uh, whoever's oh, yes. listening to this, if that was a part of their generation or not. But it very much is, is like that to a certain degree because that high school team, they're almost like the professional team for that town. And a lot of the time, the players have preferential treatment, the coaches, they're treated like rock stars, things like that. So it definitely is king in Texas. Once you get outside of the big city, obviously Dallas, Houston, things like that. But when you get to the uh, to the towns, when you get to the suburbs, when you get to those places that are outside of the civilization, so to speak, that's when you really start to see that true football camaraderie, the fandom, everything uh, all in one come out. How nervous do you get before games? Believe it or not. And I never thought I would find myself saying this. I don't get as nervous or had the butterflies as much as when I was playing, but I still have a healthy amount of nerves, a healthy amount of anxiety, a healthy amount of just being anxious, excitement, things like that. And whenever that ball was kicked off, whenever the, the kids run through the, through, the, uh, through, through the paper that the cheerleaders hold up for them, what have you, I still get that, that, that those butterflies, I still get that sense of urgency where I want to jump out of my seat. And all, and all the time, I'm just sitting on top of the press box because I'm the DB coach sitting up on top, always surveying the entire field. I definitely still do get excited. And I never thought I would. I thought, oh, well, I'm not playing anymore. So it doesn't even matter now. But 
no, very much so. I still have the nerves. And I think right there, if you don't have the nerves, then you got a question. Why are you even doing it? How nervous did you get before Raider games when you played? Uh, I wouldn't get really, really, really nervous where I'd have to throw up or anything like that. But, you know, you definitely have the butterflies, especially whenever you see the Jets fly over uh, the stadium right around the time they're doing the the national anthem, things like that. And then right right around the time when they're doing the uh, when they're doing they're doing the, the the player introductions. I remember especially one team specifically whenever we were down at Qualcomm Stadium down in San Diego, whenever they would go ahead and do the player intros, you see Philip Rivers coming out. You see Antonio Gates, LaDainian Tomlinson, and they would always do the player intros to the song Thunderstruck. Oh, yeah. And, and yep. so and, and, and to me, that song is so universal because I don't care if it's high school, college, professional hockey, baseball, basketball, football like that. That song is played during like the player intros for every sport across the board in every level across the board in America and even in Canada before hockey games. So whenever you hear that song, that's when you just get pumped. And so uh, you always have those butterflies. They always start to come out. But, you know, as soon as the ball is kicked, especially if you go out there, if we're kicking off right now to start off the game, we get out there on defense, you line up on your receiver, first play, let's say maybe a run play. Maybe it's a pass. I don't know. But you go ahead, you get your hands on that receiver, whether it's getting off a block, having to come up, make a tackle, or just simply you got to cover him on a pass play. It's a bootleg, first play of the game. And then you go ahead, you have some good coverage, and then all, all of a sudden, okay, it's like, okay, okay, the game has started. Now I can go ahead and relax. Now it's just football. But leading up to it all the way until that climatic start, that's uh, that, that's always the most exhilarating type of feeling that you uh, you cannot find any other way to substitute in this world, in my opinion. All right, well, the Raiders return to the Bay Area in their final preseason tune-up as they face the San Francisco 49ers. Mm-hmm. You know, Stan, one thing I never quite understood in terms of Raider fans, I feel like they hated the Niners more than they hated the division rivals like the Broncos, the Chiefs, and the Chargers. So what was the rivalry like for the players when you played the Niners? And I believe it was twice during your stint there in 2006 and 2010. Yeah, it wasn't anything more than the Chargers, the Chiefs, or the Broncos, or any other team for that matter. Just because you're always trying to win the game. Now, I think for the fans, what makes it so what makes it so uh, so polarizing for them is because you and you know, just like I do, when you think of the Bay Area, you have two you have two different distinctions. You have the town, Oakland, and you have the city, San Francisco. That's what they're referred night to. and day, exactly separated by the Bay Bridge. So for Raider fans being from the East Bay, 49er fans being from across the bridge over there in the city is what they like to call it. I mean, those are bragging rights. Come on now. I mean, just the difference, like you just said, night and day. Somebody from the city looks down on somebody from the town. Somebody from the town looks at somebody from the city like they're bougie, like they're spoiled, like they're stuck up, things like that. So you're always going to have that dichotomy. And that right there fuels the most polarizing the most potent type of rivalry that you can have simply because you're separated by a bridge albeit we all know it was at monster park much more further further off of the uh 
further from the Bay Bridge, so more so than uh, than the Raiders playing at the Oakland Coliseum right over there, just outside of Alameda. But the thing is, is that anytime you have two teams that are pretty much on two different sides of the track, you're always going to have a strong fan base and you're going to have a strong opposing fan base on the other side. And to me, that always made it the most polarized. That made it the most potent type of rivalry, even though you played each other once every four years. But I think that uh, when you look at it from a fan base, you're playing them every single preseason, once every four years. But the fact is that you can simply go shopping over there in the city and you may bump into somebody that you know from the city who's a huge 49ers fan. I got I got uh, friends that live in Las Vegas that are from San Francisco. They're 49er fans, things like that. I grew up as a 49er fan. I can say that now that I'm not a Raider anymore. But I think that uh, the, but that's always going to be there just, just off the simple fact that those are two old school teams. So you're never going to go ahead and get away from that. There's still going to be the rivalry with the Broncos, the Chiefs, the Chargers. But that's something that more so was created because they were placed in the same division. But Oakland and San Francisco, geographically, everything remains the same. There's always going to be that dichotomy. There's always going to be that fearsome uh, type of rivalry, no matter what, even with the Raiders being now in Las Vegas. Yeah, it's a Sunday game, 1 p.m. kickoff. The Raiders, three and a half point underdogs. The over-under is 35 and a half. And if you're into sports betting, well, bet online is where you should go to win some money. If you're a football better, there are tons of future and props you can wager on as well. Bet Online has all the latest odds, news, and information for all your online sports betting needs. Visit the website today or use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. So before the next tip-off, face-off, or pitch, head on over to Bet Online and start playing today. Bet Online, your online sportsbook experts. We are pleased to be joined by one of the best reporters in the business. He's covered the National Football League for the NFL Network for nine years now. Let's welcome in Omar Ruiz. And Omar, thanks so much for joining us. DA and Stanford, great to be on with you guys. Um, you know, I can't believe we're less than two weeks away now from opening kick between Cowboys and Buccaneers. And, uh, yes. you know, couldn't be more excited to get this season underway perhaps a little bit more of a return to normalcy and uh, and a lot of excitement and anticipation for, you know, for every team. I mean, I think, I think that's the whole point of the NFL offseason, right? All 32 teams have the hope they have the prayers about what could be. So, uh, so certainly as we get closer to kickoff, exciting for everybody around the country. Omar, what teams did you visit during training camp? Uh, saw the Raiders, the Rams, the Chargers, and the Cowboys. So kind of kept it in that, uh, you know, Southwest quadrant mm -hmm. there. Okay. Nice. So I, before we get to the Raiders, obviously, I want to ask you about the Chargers because to me, they're kind of the wild card team uh, within the division. I think they're very talented. Uh, unfortunately, that for them, that uh, injuries have been kind of their bugaboo over the last, what, five, six, seven years. Uh, it seems like what are your impressions of the LA Chargers heading into the season? Well, I think not only are they a wild card in the division, I think they're a wild card in the NFL. I think if they stay healthy and Justin Herbert can progress as we all expect him to in year number two, then I think this is a team that has realistic Super Bowl aspirations the way we saw Brandon Staley, uh, you know, make that Rams defense the best in the business last year. If he can put some of those same imprints on it with Derwin James coming back healthy and, 
and Joey Bosa up front and, and Kenneth Murray, you know, they're a linebacker coming into the fold in his second year and, and all the rest of it, um, the weapons on offense. I mean, that's the team that's loaded. And so, uh, so like you mentioned, if they can abo- avoid that snake bitten injury, which they have gone to great lengths to make sure they get through training camp and the preseason unscathed, but if they can avoid that in the regular season, then I think, yeah, look out at the sky's the limit for them. Omar, let me go ahead and just uh, shoot this question at you real quick. So with you covering the Chargers and the Rams, both being out there in L.A., what do the Chargers have to do to stop being, or should I say to not be, the the little brother, the stepbrother to the Los Angeles Rams? Obviously, neither one has won a title as a member of the Los Angeles uh, city yet, but it always just seems like, the Chargers are the also ran like they're ch- kind of like the redheaded stepsister, something like that. <laughs> what would the Chargers have to do to be able to usurp, obviously, that title wave that the Rams already have of being Los Angeles's premier team? I think they have to win. They have to win big. They have to win almost dynastically. And, and a good comparison I heard recently compared the Chargers. Um, aspirations or maybe the necessity to become a premier team in LA, like you just mentioned, like the Patriots did pre Belichick, pre Tom Brady, because if you ever went to new England, especially back in, you know, the eighties, nineties, it was, it was Red Sox. Yeah. It was, it was Bruins. And then, you know, way down on the notch, especially given that, the Patriots played way out in Foxborough, kind of uh, outside the city limits. They were a distant fourth. And obviously, Bill Belichick came in, Tom Brady. The rest is history, six Super Bowls. And now the Patriots, even though Red Sox have won four titles uh, in that same time span, the Patriots are the dominant team in New England. And then Red Sox, two, of course, and Celtics, Bruins, obviously still well-regarded, a, a great sports town. And I think L.A. is just as good of a sports town, but you're going to have to win and win for a long time like that until you turn the tide. And I think when the Chargers moved to L.A., they knew what an undertaking it would be um, and that it, it might take a generation to, uh, you know, build a footprint there and, and not just compete against the Rams, but compete against the Dodgers and the Lakers yeah. and, and UCLA and USC. There's just so much competition, not to mention, you know, the beach and, and the movies and, and everything else that there is to do in, in uh, Southern California. So, um to answer your question, to, to ride that Justin Herbert trade uh, to multiple <laughs> Super Bowls, and, and that would be a start to get them going uh, you know, in that higher regard. Well, you know what, Omar? You and I are based here in Los Angeles, and I think you can make the case that the Raiders are still uh, the most popular team in Los Angeles. And let's get to them now. Uh, you mentioned you spent some time with them. What is your evaluation as we get closer to week one in that Monday night matchup uh, at home? against the Baltimore Ravens? When I left the Raiders camp, July 31st, we had that back together Saturday on NFL Network. We covered every team, a lot of excitement in the air. I left thinking that the Raiders, it's either going to hit in a big way and everything that that Gruden and and Mayock tried to pull off in the offseason is going to hit or it's not. And we may have another, uh, you know, losing type of campaign, maybe a regression in 2021 fast forward to last week when they were practicing with the Rams uh, there in thousand Oaks at the Rams facility with those joint practices. And, and 
and to, to me, the Raiders were the aggressor. They were um, the more spirited team. And, and I know these are two teams in, in vastly different situations. Rams expected to go to the Super Bowl. Raiders trying to get to the playoffs. So I know that the mentalities are, are different. But, but the Raiders, they shine to me in those two days. And, and sort of left me with, with a lot favorable impression of them. That defense has really come together. I think, you know, the, the expectations that Gus Bradley has for that defense uh, is going to get a lot closer to, I think, what fans uh, are hoping for, what they're expecting. And, um, and yeah, so if I'm a Raiders fan, uh, I'm pretty optimistic because, you know, the offense is going to score. Uh, you know, I think, I think Derek Carr, you know, has, has, you know, put the pieces in place with Gruden's offense and, and the weapons around him. I think they'll, they'll deliver. And that, that defense was flying around. They were making plays. Uh, we know how good. Uh, that Rams offense is expected to be and, and the Raiders more than held their own. And, and actually, like I said, were the aggressors on, on many instances. So, so yeah, so I, I would be very hopeful uh, for the Raiders. I think that defense is going to be a lot better. How good that'll be the story of their season. All right, Omar, it's an revamped offensive line. And then based on that Rams game, the backups even give me cause for concern. I was worried about the health of, Nathan Peterman. So what you saw from the O-line and the scrimmages against the Rams, does it give you hope for optimism? It does. Um, but whenever you have any offensive line going against Aaron Donald, it's a little cause for concern. He's, he's the type of player that does that to many offensive lines and the Raiders were no different, but, but otherwise I think there is optimism within the team, you know, that Colton Miller takes the next step this year from going from a, a really, really good player to an elite type of left tackle mm -hmm. uh alex leatherwood by all accounts has shown nothing but greatness early on and and the due diligence that he's uh shown learning the playbook um ingratiating himself to the rest of the team uh ha has been nothing but a bright spot uh for the raiders then you just hope that the you know the interior comes together incognito can be healthy and and james kind of continues to live up to the expectations that it seems like Derek carr has set for him, which is really high bar being uh, Rodney Hudson's under understudy uh, the last couple of years. So um, th that's the great experiment, right? I think when, when you look at the Raiders offseason, the gambles, perhaps that Gruden and Mayock have taken, that's going to be the focal point this year. Um, and, and you just have to hope that that those guys hit uh, the, the way that they're expected to. And, and I think they will. I don't think they'll be They'll be necessarily great, but they'll be serviceable enough to work with. Uh, that's for sure. Mm -hmm. All right, let's move on. And this one made national headlines as Vic Tafer from The Athletic reported. The Raiders reached out to the Chicago Bears about Khalil Mack's availability before the start of free agency. And of course, Raider fans know Gruden traded Mack to the Bears right before the start of the 2018 season. In return, the Raiders received two first-round picks, a sixth-round pick in 2019, and a third-round pick in 2020. And so far, the result of that has been Josh Jacobs, Damon Arnett, and Brian Edwards. And meanwhile, Mack has totaled 30 sacks during that three-year span, and his 12-and-a-half sacks in 2018 were as nearly as many as the Raiders had as a team. Uh, we could talk about who's won and who's lost his trade afterwards. But, Stan, let me begin with you. What do you make of this move by Gruden? I saw that the other day and I thought that was very peculiar. I'll just go ahead and, uh, and, and leave it at that just because so you're contacting the bears 
before free agency to what? Go ahead and reverse the trade or go ahead and give up three first-round picks uh, to go ahead and acquire Khalil Mack back into the fold? Because last I checked, I, I don't believe this is going to be a contract year coming up for Khalil Mack, is at least if I if I memory serves correctly. So you're definitely going to have to trade for him. He's still playing at a very elite level, a very high level, so it makes me kind of wonder. But also, will you sign Ngakwe? to go ahead and be your bookend uh, pass rush edge rusher along with uh, with my man Max Crosby. So it definitely makes you wonder, was he just kicking the tires? Was it just a casual conversation? Was it serious? Things like that. It, it leaves so many questions left to bear. And then, you know, you got to ask yourself, do you want to go ahead and get rid of all of those assets that you tried to acquire for Khalil Mack or to then go and get him back and admit that you made a mistake to let him go in the first place? So I need more. I have more answers that uh, I have more questions that I would need to ask John Gruden, and Mike Mayock on that entire conversation that was had as far as uh, the validity. How serious were you about that? Because there's so many questions depending on whether or not it was serious, whether it was just casual conversation. I have many questions uh, to ask both of them about that. Omar, what about you? What did you think when you first heard the news? I chuckled when I saw that. You know, we've been talking about the Raiders trying to fortify that pass rush for years now, ever since they, they traded Khalil Mack. And the fact that, that that became public, I think goes to show that John Gruden, you know, he doesn't care about public perception, um, you know, and whatever backlash or people like me would have laughed, you know, about that move that he's going to do whatever it takes to try to improve the football team. And, and I think, um, you know, you, you hope that Max Crosby can put it all together this year and sort of show some growth here in year three. Unique Ngakwe become the superstar that, that he seemed like he was projecting to be early mm -hmm. in his career. But if you have a guy like Khalil Mack and he is your lead pass rusher and a guy like Ngakwe is your number two and then a guy like Max Crosby is your number three, then then that's a that's a, a pretty good yes. uh, front there. Very and, much so. And so that's... You know, I see that's where they're at. You know, with Ngakwe as a number one, Crosby your number two, they might they might be okay. They're going to need the whole defense to kind of come together, uh, you know, as a unit. You know, not to say that they can't do the job. They can't be a good defense. But um, obviously, I think they were looking at, you know, making it – when you have, you know, Stanford, you know, could tell you better than I could, a DB's job is so much easier when you have monster pass rushers like so that. Much. And, so much. So much easier. And, and so, when you know, have – you have those young, that young secondary that we've been harping on for a couple of years now, and, and they haven't really developed. Well, they haven't really had too much help up front um, that a lot of young secondaries get uh, early in their careers to develop and give them a chance to have that sort of cushion to make mistakes and whatnot. So um, I think that's kind of what they were looking at there with that picture with Mac. But but it's like every year we go to training camp with the Raiders and we look at those pass rush numbers and the sack numbers and. And, and we, we always go back to, they haven't done this since 2017. They haven't done this since 2018. And it all goes back to that trade. But I give Gruden credit for, you know, even exploring that and, and not caring, you know, what the public perception would have been that, that obviously the focus is to improve the team, to try to get back to the playoffs. Omar, as you, as you bring it up, John Gruden, I'm so glad that you went there. Here's my question to you. Obviously with John Gruden coming out of the, out of the booth, to the Las Vegas Raiders. 
He has a 10-year contract. We all know that 100 million. So his 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 platform, his footing within the organization is pretty firm. Now, in your circles, in the NFL network circles, in the people that you talk to, the aficionados, the training camps that you've been to, things like that. What are people saying? What's the growing sentiment among John Gruden, whether he should be on the hot seat, whether he has a lot to prove, whether or not he's doing a masterful job versus an average job, below average job with the Las Vegas Raiders since he's come back out of the uh, the broadcast booth? What's the growing sentiment or impression that people in your circles have uh, have alluded to you? I think kind of what I hear is that it's the same John Gruden, you know, that that was the a head coach in the late nineties to the mid two thousands. And, uh, and the NFL has changed and he's doing his dangest to sort of keep up with the changes and, and uh, you know, uh, you know, coming to uh, I think he's learned here in the first few years on the job that it is a different NFL than it was when, when he stopped coaching uh, the bucks, you know, back in 2007, uh, 2008, you know, and in uh, just in that 12, 13 years, uh, since then. So I think, you know, it, it's probably been an adjustment for him. Um, you know, his will to win, I don't think has diminished, you know, that fire, I think, you know, he, he maybe doesn't express himself and, you know, that mic'd up, you know, he's not the centerpiece, the Chucky caricature that um, he seemed to be in his first go round. But I think that will to win mm-hmm. uh, burns just as deeply inside of him. Um, and, and I think, you know, people, um, trust Mike Mayock, you know, obviously in the NFL network circles, you know, for, for the, um, the work ethic that he provides and, and kind of taking that off of Gruden's plate, the scouting and the, and um, you know, the, the, the personnel evaluations. Um, so, so they feel that, that maybe, I think we always look at, well, Hey, Sean McVay was in Super Bowl his second year back and the Raiders still haven't been, to the Super Bowl and, and, and our Rays haven't been to the playoffs and Matt Nagy for all the criticism that he gets in Chicago, he's been to the playoffs two out of three years um, since he's been a head coach, the same three years that Gruden has been. And you, you point to uh, you know, why can't he turn that program around uh, more quickly? Well, I think it's, he's had to sort of undo a lot of his thought process, a lot of how he very successfully early in his career won in the NFL uh, at the highest level, you know, winning a Super Bowl, kind of undo some of that and then kind of remake the team in his image in 2020, in 2021. And I think we're seeing that now. And, and I think we will see um, them have a winning team finally for the Raiders. All right. Last question on this topic. I mentioned what the Raiders received in the Khalil Mack trade. And we always, guys, you like to know, we always got to pick a winner and a loser. So, did the Raiders win this trade? Did the Bears win it? Or is it still too early to tell? Omar, we'll begin with you. Yeah, I think ultimately it'll, it'll be the story of that trade will be told by which team kind of can go on a deeper playoff run uh, sooner. You know, can, can the Raiders, you know, become a true AFC contender? Can, uh, with Andy Dalton or Justin Fields, can the Bears become a contender with now a viable offense to go with Khalil Mack and that defense? So, yeah, I think it's still... Uh, waiting to be written ultimately who wins now we can evaluate you know what those picks became and and Khalil Mack stats and all that but I think you know obviously in the greatest team sport in the world um, you know how they uh, build their teams and their success or lack thereof will tell that story Dan oh well for one you gotta say that uh the clear-cut winner 
in the trade was Khalil Mack. He got uh, <laughs> some new scenery. <laughs> he go. got a whole lot of new there money. And obviously, it's still faring well over there in the Windy City. Now, when you go ahead and you compare the Bears versus the Raiders, but right now, I think it's still too early to tell because of this. If you're the Raiders in that situation with John Gruden, and a lot of his mindset was, I got to give this guy about $130 million over like six years, something like that. Well, I'm not doing that good with him. I'm like 5-11 and 11 with him. So if we go and we trade him and we suck, well, then we're just going to, what, 2-14? and 14? I wouldn't win in with you. So I might as well go ahead and get some sort of draft picks for you. Now, those draft picks have not exactly panned out. Josh Jacobs, I love him, by the way. But I think that when you look at it from that standpoint, I actually get why John Gruden traded him away. I actually do get it. Now, once again, you got to do something with those draft picks and you got to turn them into some productive players. That way you can go ahead and have an all-around more a cohesive team, not just really, really good pass rusher and no other talent left on the defense side of the ball, you know, for obvious, uh, for stretch of the imagination. That's where I think the biggest issue comes in. But I think that once again, it's still too early to tell because, Chicago had a pretty good defense before Khalil Mack got there. Vic Fangio has been one of the best defense coordinators in this league over the last 10, 11, 12 years. As you can see, now he's the head coach of the Denver Broncos, doing a fine job with them as well. So I think that when you look at it for team for team, it's very hard to just pick a, uh, a winner in that regard because you see the Chicago Bears, they go to the playoffs, I believe it was in 2018, they lost to the Philadelphia Eagles, I believe, to Nick Foles. You then go and see Double this doink. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> double doink game. And then you go and you see this past football season, they lose to these uh, New Orleans Saints. So even when they get to the playoffs, they're not doing much there. So I think that when you really look at it from that standpoint, from a, from a star, from a superstar factor, then yeah, the Raiders lost because they no longer have a star player on the defense side of the ball. But that same star player outside of 2016 season, when I believe he won the defense player of the year award and the Raiders went 12 and four, the Raiders have not done anything in any other year, even when Clem Mack was there. So from that standpoint, I can see why John Gruden traded him away and got those uh, first round draft picks. But once again, you have to do something with the picks. You can't just acquire them and just sit on your laurels. So I think that it still remains to be seen who was the clear-cut winner when you're going to go ahead and you're going to compare the Bears versus the Raiders. Yeah. And to your point, I thought it was interesting in, in you know preparing for this year's training camp um, in studying the defenses in the Derek Carr era, even in 2016 when they went to the playoffs and, and, and obviously – um, you know, if Derek never gets hurt, you know, that whole Jack Del Rio yeah. tenure probably ends differently. But anyway, even in that year when they had a pretty good team and Khalil Mack was, you know, defensive player of the year, I think they were 17th or so in total yeah. defense. Yeah, they weren't a, a stalwart or any, any stretch yeah, of the they're imagination. Still, they're still bottom half of the league, even even in their, their best team. And so I think that that sort of, dramatically proves your point and why you understand that logic. Now, now we all sort of have, you know, fun at Gruden's expense when he says, well, you know, if we had Khalil Mack, we wouldn't have Antonio Brown and Trent Brown. And <laughs> yeah. he makes that quote. And now all eight of those yeah, guys, guys are, are never not part of the team anymore. So yeah, you know, you, you gotta, you gotta be shrewd. You gotta make the moves, but you also gotta, 
then do the subsequent moves as well. And I think that's kind of what they're they're working at right now. Right. That 2016 defense, I know it was ranked near the bottom half, but I believe in turnover ratio, they created a lot of turnovers. Yeah. I remember that year and it gave the Raiders sure. very, offense a lot very of opportunistic that to work year. with. Yep. Very yeah. opportunistic. So that was one thing that they were really good at. All right, guys, yep. let's get to our final topic now in the late, great Cliff Branch. He was named a finalist for the Pro Football Hall of Fame for the class of 2022. I mean, here's a guy who caught over 500 passes in his career. He won three Super Bowls with the Silver and Black, selected to four Pro Bowls. Believe it or not, he still ranks third in the team history in receptions and yards behind a couple of Hall of Famers, Fred Bolitnikoff and Tim Brown. Stan, let me begin with you. Did you ever have the pleasure of meeting Cliff Branch? And if you didn't, did you get a history lesson on who he was when you got to the Raiders? Yes, I actually met Cliff Branch uh, a couple times at a few Raider games. My dad probably had more interaction with him than I did simply because anytime my parents would come into Oakland for one of our home games, they would always go to the Raider image right over there off of Hegenberger over there in Alameda. And apparently Cliff would always be hanging out over there. So that's when my dad first got a chance to meet him. And with him being from Houston, I think he went to Worthing High School, Texas guy, no matter what, you know, I ride with all my Texas, man, regardless of the black and silver. So, uh, so just off of that alone, I had, a, I had the pleasure to go ahead and briefly uh, meet him a few times. My dad, obviously, a couple times more. But nonetheless, like I said, I love the fact that he's now reached the, what is it, the semifinalist? Um, I think it was, not, told, he was, he was named a finalist. Yeah, finalist, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah, finalist, which I think that he should have been named a finalist a long time ago. Absolutely. Uh, but nonetheless, like I said, a uh, great guy, guy rest his soul. And it was always fun talking to him, the brief chances that I did. You know, Omar, I feel like this is long overdue. I mean, when you talk about those great Raider teams of the 70s and even the early 80s, I mean, Cliff Branch, such a large part of that history. Well, I mean, yeah, he's one of the, you know, might be the only player, if memory serves me, that that won all three Super Bowls um, on the roster. So legendary in that regard, long overdue. And, and it, whenever I see this kind of stuff, it always just sort of breaks my heart that, you know, he's not around still to mm -hmm. have experienced it, uh, you know, in, in life. And, and obviously they'll have a great ceremony for him next year in Canton. And I'm sure his family will be very appreciative, but you just look at coach Flores this past year, able to experience that drew Pearson, uh, similarly a receiver from the seventies finally got his due. He was able yeah. to experience it. And it sort of breaks my heart that cliff branch won't be able to experience it. Um, when we all know it was so overdue. Um, and, um, but ultimately, the Hall of Fame got it right, and uh, and and his deserved place in Kenton will be uh, immortalized, uh, you know, for years to come and and forever and ever. Um, and and uh, yeah, so I was happy to see that. But it kind of just you know a little bittersweet w w when you realize that. You know, Cliff was often compared to Lynn Swan in the '70s uh, from the Pittsburgh Steelers, and Swan's been in the Hall of Fame for quite some time. And if you look at their numbers. Branch had better numbers than Lynn Swan. So, mm -hmm. you know, like I said, long overdue. And I remember as a kid going to Raider games at the Oakland Coliseum and one of the corner of the end zones, there was always this large banner. And all it said was speed kills. <laughs> yeah, Hashtag I remember that. Number 21. Yeah. You guys remember that? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, just I, I, I remember the um, speed because, you know, they, 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 that was there, you know, even like the James Jet, you know, <laughs> era. And, yes. and, uh, you know, that was just, a, you know, Darius Hayward Bay. And, you know, that obviously that was Al Davis's, um, you know, one of his biggest characteristics he, he wanted to see 
in his teams was that team speed. And, and obviously Cliff Branch embodied that. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, we talk about speed a lot, you know, in terms of the Raiders, but, but, you know, you don't win three Super Bowls. You don't, you become all pro pro bowl. You don't hang around for 15 years as a receiver. If it was just about speed and, yes. you know, obviously he made, you know, clutch catches and, and, um, and, and was the complete receiver, um, for his time. And, and, and obviously, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad the hall of fame, uh, committee finally, um, well, you know, before we actually put him in, let's, right. let's, you know, make sure he actually gets in. But it, it seems to me at, at this point, the way that the votes go, um, you know, Super Bowl weekend that, you know, when the coach and the, and the veteran, uh, gets selected that it's a formality at this point, but, you mm-hmm. know, so, we won't necessarily make it official yet, but it's certainly a good sign to see. Yeah, Dick Vermeil was the coach, correct? Yeah, Dick Vermeil, who uh, who Cliff Branch torched <laughs> in that right. Super Bowl. Yep, uh, against the Eagles. So, uh, um, kind of uh, poetic in yeah, that way. Yeah, down in New Orleans, beat him twenty-seven to ten. It was the first wild card team to win a Super Bowl. Those nineteen eighty yes, Oakland Raiders. Yeah. All right, so, Omar, I'm going to give you the last word. I want a prediction from you. How do you think the Raiders are going to finish this year? Well, that's a good question. I haven't given uh, a predictive record yet, but I'm going to go 11 and six. I wow. think they're going to improve. Mm. Yeah, I think I think they're going to be good. Uh, you know, may, maybe it's the old Raider Homer in me. Uh, it's funny because you know I come from a big Raider family, and and of course every year they all think they're going to the Super Bowl every year. <laughs> yes. and, yeah, and, that and is I'm, very I'm true. The voice, I'm the voice of reason that has to say, "Hey, eleven. You know, they got they got a lot of questions, but but like I'm this year I'm creating the hype." And, uh, and, and I just have a different feeling just being around that team. And, and I had a chance to speak with Max Crosby and Quentin Nelson or Quentin Jefferson after, um, you know, one of the scrim- scrimmages against the Rams and, and Jefferson every year he's been in the league, whether it's the Seahawks or the bills, um, they've gone to the playoffs. He's been around good teams every year of his career. And, and he even said, you know, there's, there's just something special about what they're building, but the characteristics of all those playoff teams he's been on this Raider team has, and obviously it's early. They got to put it together. They got to stay healthy, but there's just, you know, a vibe, you know, if, 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 you know, if you can get a vibe from a team, this team has that. And, uh, and I hope it goes a long way because I'm convinced that the offense is going to be good. Once again, I believe in Gus Bradley and and some of the pieces they've brought in um, to be good enough you know, to get them to, to, to the playoffs. Not necessarily, I don't think they're going to be a Super Bowl contender or anything like that, but Agreed. But I think they'll be good enough to get to the playoffs this year. Dan, Omar's bringing some optimism like you do. I mean, he's, <laughs> going, he's going even 11 wins, though. Stan was like 10, and I'm like 7, 8, maybe 9. Wow, wow. optimism about no, uh, silver and black. I definitely understand where he's coming from because when you look at last year, and I, I always point to these three games, it was the Miami Dolphins game a uh, day after Christmas, Saturday night football. You had the Thursday night game against the Los Angeles Chargers, Thursday night football. And then you had the Sunday night game against the Kansas City Chiefs at Allegiant Stadium. And all three of those games, they lost in the waning seconds of the game because the pass defense simply was not put together at all correctly. So you go ahead and you add those three victories onto their win to their uh to their win total. The Raiders are in the playoffs. If you just add two on to their win total, the Raiders in the playoffs, uh, and that's a big swing. So 
because of Gus Bradley coming over, because he's going to simplify the defense. It's going to take it more back to that legion of boom, just run quarters, just run cover three, albeit they don't have Earl Thomas. They don't have Richard Sherman uh, playing in that back end, but it's because that they're going to simplify things. And hopefully you will not see guys running scot-free wide ass open in the middle of the secondary. And if they can go ahead and take those three games and just take two of them and turn them into W's, the Raiders are in the playoffs. So I definitely see where Omar's coming from because the offense is not going to take a step back. At least I have no I have, I have no reason to believe why they would take yep. a step back. As a defensive player, all you got to do is just simply don't F it up. Don't go out there and <laughs> give up 40. Don't give up 35 because the offense is going to put some points up on the board. All you got to do is just simply get in the way. Just go ahead, slow them down. That way it's not a quick strike, a quick score, things like that. And I think with Gus Bradley coming over with his new defensive philosophy on uh, Paul Gunther, who did not have that last year, I think you're going to see an improvement on the other side of the ball. All right. Well, we know the Raiders won't face Adam Gaze and the New York Jets and get a gift win like they did <laughs> a year ago. So <laughs> I'll do that on the flip side. Hey, Omar, thanks so much for joining us, man. It was great to have you Omar, on. Omar, great, great to meet stuff. you. Really enjoyed it. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, no problem, guys. Fun conversation anytime. Uh, you know, I look forward to crossing paths uh, during the season here this year. Likewise. All right, that's Omar Ruiz from the NFL Network. Fortunate enough to have him join us on the podcast. And Raider Nation, that's going to do it for another edition of the Believe in Raiders podcast presented by betonline.ag. For my partner, Stanford Rout, I'm Dennis Ackerman. Thanks so much for listening. And may all your punts find the coffin corner. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.